uh, the reading of the scripture for today in the Old Testament. We start with Isaiah 62, 1 through 5. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hesphazbah and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a woman, so your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so God rejoices over you. And a reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was all gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone jars of water, water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he came, he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice first wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Thank you, Paul. I'm going to ask you to keep your Bibles open to um, John chapter 2, and we will look both at John 2 and our Old Testament reading today. And the verses for every week are inside your bulletin, so you can have those there uh, to read and to study as a family or as a small group. And then on the back of the bulletin, it's blank. So if everybody could turn their bulletin over where it's blank, there's a pen in front of you. I'm going to give you just a few things to write down today. Uh, or really anything the Holy Spirit leads you to write down, you can uh, do that, but uh, it's, it's a joy to walk through the Bible together. And today we get uh, to read about and talk about one of Jesus' most famous miracles. It's the one that he's kind of known for. It's even part of public knowledge. If, even if you don't know much about Jesus, you, you know that he changed the water into wine. And in fact, if you look on Facebook, there's a, there's a little picture that pops up every now and then. It'll be on the screen uh, behind me, and the caption usually is, Jesus was here, um, <laughs> changing the water to wine. So it's a famous miracle. It's Jesus's first miracle. Now, why would Jesus choose this miracle as his very first miracle? Because if I'm Jesus, thank God I'm not, but if I was Jesus, I'd start with like raising the dead, right? That's a good one, or, or calming the storm, or 
Feeding the 5,000, let's start with a splash, this turning water into wine. Is it really? Jesus, they're about to run out of wine, and Jesus goes, party on, everybody, we're going to keep going here. And it's like, Jesus, really? That's, that's going to be your first miracle. Well, let's look at that. Why is it his first miracle? If you look at the, the passage of Scripture, there's a, a, a phrase that just keeps coming up again and again in Jesus' life, but we see it here, and it probably strikes us the most here because it's his first miracle. But in John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, and today I'm going to read from a slightly different translation than, than Paul read from, and, and it's this, the wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem. You know, basically, none of our business here, mom, that's what Jesus is saying. He says, my time has not yet come. Now look at that phrase, my time has not yet come. That always brings up a question, what does Jesus mean by that? My time has not yet come. Is it not time for him to start his ministry? Is Mary kind of overstepping her bounds by asking Jesus to do this? Why does he say my time has not yet come? The reality is, is that phrase, my time has not yet come, or if you have a different translation, it may say my hour has not yet come, or my hour has not yet arrived. It depends on the translation you have, but that phrase is actually seven times uh, read in the Gospel of John. Jesus uses that phrase over and over and over again, my time has not yet come, and it's usually with this family or close followers just saying, no, this is not, this is not why I came. This is, my time has not yet come. Then, at the end of John, on the last night of Jesus' life, just before he goes to the cross, he says this in, in John 12, 23. Jesus replied, the hour has come, or in other translations, my time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus is saying, look, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. And then when he's facing the cross, my time has come. This is why I came. I came to die on a cross for your sin. I know your deepest need. I know exactly where you're at. I know that I have to do this for you, and his love compels him. It's the deepest need we have. It's the need of a Savior. So that's why I came. I came for the cross. I came to save you. So back to our story, and back to the question, why is this Jesus' first miracle? Well, it happens at a, a wedding, and weddings are important in any culture, but they're very important in this culture, and, and weddings are actually a major theme of Jesus throughout his teaching. Think about his parables. A lot of his parables have to do with weddings. The, the, the banquet that is set for everybody, come on out, you gotta come to the banquet, and, and if some people won't come, go out and get more people. Everybody's invited to the table. There's a parable about wedding garments that somebody came to the wedding without the right garments on. And in that time period, not only did you receive an invitation to the wedding, you received the garments to wear to the wedding, but somebody showed up without the garments on. See, a lot of people are going to come to God, and when that day comes for them to stand before their creator, they're going to just come dressed however they want to dress. And Jesus says, you got to be clothed in my righteousness. you got to be wearing the garments I give you. Jesus is teaching us through weddings, and, and, and again, another thing from this time period is that in this time period, the engagements were a little different because the marriages were arranged. So when a groom arranged the marriage, 
he would go home to his father's house and he'd begin to build a room onto that house for him and his family. He'd go and prepare a place. What did Jesus say to us? I'm going to prepare a place for you. And so he goes to prepare the place and when that room was done, when the father of the groom said, yes, son, you're ready, that's when the groom could go back and get his bride. That's why we never know when the groom is coming because it's when the father says the groom can come and, and, and that's a picture of Jesus, right? When the father no one knows the day and the hour except the father, but when he says, come, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna come and get my bride. And so that leads to other parables about the ten virgins. Some had oil, some didn't. Some were ready, some weren't. And so we have all these pictures of weddings. And throughout the New Testament, our relationship with God is seen as a wedding, as a marriage relationship. That's the theme that goes all the way through. Now, weddings were a part of the community. They weren't just a few people invited. Everybody was invited to the wedding. It was a big deal, and not only was everybody invited, everything was provided for. We talked about the garments being provided, but also the celebration. It's a week-long party celebrating the wedding, and so that's what's going on, and, and here's this couple who's invited everybody to their wedding, and everything's going great, except at the beginning of the ceremony, at the beginning of the party, at the beginning of the feast, they've run out of wine. That's going to haunt them the rest of their life. They will be known as the couple that ran out of wine at their wedding. It could be their 25th wedding anniversary and everybody in town like, oh yeah. Remember, remember their wedding? Remember that? You remember that reception? Awful. You know, that would like just go, I mean, you know how small towns talk. That's what it would be the rest of their life. But instead, Jesus steps in. And instead of being the couple that will be shamed for the rest of their life for not having enough for everybody, when it's their 25th wedding anniversary, everybody in town goes, remember that one? That was awesome. That was the best. And so he, he changes everything when he does this miracle. Why would this be his first miracle, though? That's the big question. Why make this one your first miracle, Jesus? Well, John does something different with the miracles than the other gospel writers. He doesn't even call them miracles. You don't see the word miracle in the gospel of John. Instead, he calls them signs, that these are signs that point to who Jesus is. Jesus does eight miracles in the gospel of John, each pointing them to who he is. And so this is a sign pointing us to who Jesus is. This is a picture of who he is and why he came. And this is why it's his first one, because what he did for that couple is by giving them new wine for their wedding, he was removing the shame that everybody else was going to put on them. He was removing that shame and he was giving them glory. That's why he came. He came to die on a cross, yes, but he came to take our shame. He came to take our guilt. He came to give us freedom. From all of those things, he won't remember your sins anymore. That's why he came. It was a picture of why he came. It was a sign. That's why it's the first one. This is what I'm going to do when I come. I'm going to take their shame. And let me tell you, Jesus changes everything for the better. He changes everything for the better. And a lot of times when we think changing everything for the better, we think of circumstances or this or that. I'm talking about you. That when Jesus comes into you, when, when, when Jesus is leading you, when, when he is with you, when he walks in the room, everything changes, and that includes you. 
God wants to make you new. God wants to do something new in your life. And so the question is, what are you expecting him to do? What do you want him to do? What would you like to see God do in your life? God makes everything new. We saw it in the video that we watched. He makes new wine out of of this old, dirty water. What were those pitchers, as Paul read? They were ritual-washing pitchers. So those were filled with dirty water that people would dip their hands in to clean. And he takes that old, dirty water, and he makes it new wine. That's what God does, and that's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to take the old, and he wants to make it new. God is in the transformation business. He wants to transform your life. So, I want to talk about God's love for you. We've talked about the wedding. We've talked about what he wants to do. His heart is for you. He has this undying love for you. We see this in in not only the Gospel of John, but we see it in our Old Testament reading as well. And so let me read it to you and and just talk about it for a moment here. But, But look at the words on the screen. Because I have loved Zion, I will not keep still. Because my heart yearns for Jerusalem, I cannot remain silent. I will not stop praying for her until her righteousness shines like the dawn and her salvation blazes like a burning torch. The nations will see your brightness. World leaders will be blinded by your glory. And you will be given a new name by the Lord's own mouth. The Lord will hold you in his hand for all to see, a splendid crown in the hand of God. Never again will you be called the forsaken city, the desolate land. Your new name will be the city of God's delight, the bride of God. The Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. More wedding language. Your children will be, commit themselves to you, O Jerusalem, just as a young man commits himself to his bride. Look at this. Then God will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. God delights in you. This passage we just read is not about a city. It is about God's people. It's this idea that God loves his people and calls his people and delights in his people. It's a very personal reading. If you could read it and put your name in there in the name of the city, and God delights in you. There's something beautiful about a young couple getting married. Uh, Luke and, and Hannah are getting married, and it's, and, and it's so fun to watch them because they delight in each other. As they prepare for their wedding in June, they're delighting, or they just, they just love each other and delight about becoming one and having a future together and all of those things, and, 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 and that's God toward you. Have you ever thought of it that way before? That's God's heart towards you, that he delights in you as a, as a bride and a groom delight in each other. He delights in you. He loves you that much. When you look at this passage of scripture, you you see God's love, but it it says things like his heart yearns for his people. He says, you're not forsaken, you're you're my delight. You're, You're not desolate, you're my bride, and I rejoice over my bride. God loves you, he really does love you. That's the good news that we have in the gospel. God loves you, and we see this in Isaiah as we walk through the different chapters over these weeks We're seeing that God loves this people, Israel. And and Israel are so far away from God. They have have strayed so far. They have told God, get out of here. They've they've turned their back on God, and yet God says, no, I love you. I have a plan for you. I'm calling you to myself. 
preached it a couple weeks ago in, in Isaiah 61 as we move toward Isaiah 62 that we just read in Isaiah 60 verse 1. It says, arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you that, that I'm not gonna leave you with your back turned towards me. I'm, I'm calling you to myself. I love you too much. In Isaiah 61, in the next chapter, before what we just read, it says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, an oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. He says in this passage of scripture, I have some good news for you. I'm giving you freedom. I'm giving you joy. I'm giving you favor. I'm giving you comfort. I'm gonna give you a crown of beauty for your ashes. And, and I'm just gonna give you a spirit of praise for your heaviness. I'm gonna change everything in your life. I'm gonna plant you. You're gonna be strong. That's what the Lord is saying in this passage. I'm gonna delight in you. That's the heart of God. He wants to come in and make all things new. In the psalm that we read at the beginning of service, and the psalm for this week is Psalm 36, in the beginning of verse 5, it says, Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. See, Jesus' love wants to come in, and when Jesus' love comes in, it makes all things new. And we looked at the, parable, or we looked at the story from the gospel, and we see Jesus coming in and making new wine, and that's great, but, but you know what? That's just the start. That was just the beginning of his ministry. He's like, you think that's good? Wait till you see everything that I have planned. Wait till you see when I really lift your shame. I wanna tell you today, God has so much more for your life. He loves you so much. He's calling you to himself. He's gonna plant you. He is going to make you strong. So do not get stuck in the shame that you feel. Don't get stuck in what other people say about you. Don't get stuck in the mistakes that you've made in the past. Don't get stuck in your own head when you're like, I just don't think I'm worth anything. Don't get stuck in those things because God says, I'm gonna plant you like a mighty oak. And, and I, I have an acorn that, that I, I took from my mom's Sunday school classroom many, many years ago. I would keep it on my desk in my office. And, and you plant an acorn, it'll make a mighty oak. Take it out there, outside, not right now, because I don't think you could dig anything up right now, but in the springtime, plant this, and, and eventually a mighty oak will appear as the years go by. But if I took and I planted this, um, this seed in this pot, not only would it not grow, it would die. Because it's not meant to be grown in a little clay pot, it's meant to be, to be free, to grow, for those roots to go deep and far and strong, to provide the foundation for, for something bigger. And a lot of times what happens in our life, we, we, we think about our past mistakes and those past mistakes confine us. Or people say, well, this is all you're ever gonna be and so that confines us. Or we have something in our mind, well, I, I, I'm, I'm just, this is all I am. And, and God says, no, I want you to be established. But we plant this seed and all this shame and all these, these, these lies about us in our hearts and our minds and what other people say, it confines us and then we die. I wanna tell you, you were born to be planted with freedom. God removes that shame. He removes all of that so that you can have freedom to grow and be who you've called to be. 
That's foundational in our life. I want to tell you that the reason I'm preaching so much on God's love, it's not just because those are the scriptures we have right now. It's because if you don't understand that God loves you, that's your foundation. We build upon this that God is delighted in us, that he calls us his own, that he says, I'm calling you to be my bride. As a, as a, as a bridegroom loves the bride on the wedding day, that's me, I love you. I desire, I want to be with you. I, I want us to be one and together forever. That's the heart of God. And when you realize it, it doesn't matter what anybody else says about you, right? It doesn't matter what's going on in your mind. Go, don't, don't go by what you think. Go by what the Word says. And God says, I love you. I've called you. I mean, you may even have your back turned towards God today. He's like, just turn around. Just come home. My arms are open wide. That's the heart of God. That's the love of God to a, to a people who had turned their back on God. He's saying, no, I love you, and I've called you my own. This is the foundation of our lives. So let me give you three action steps here as our time goes away. And these are things I want you to do. In, in response to the word that was preached this morning, what are we going to do? Three things. First of all, invite Jesus. Somebody had to invite Jesus to the wedding. If nobody would have invited Jesus to the wedding, none of this would ever happen. You've got to invite Jesus. Invite him in. Invite him into every part of your life. Don't just invite him into Sunday mornings when we come to church, and that's great, or into your small group or into your Bible study. And, and so that's where invite him in. And we, we, we're going to talk about inviting him into our hearts, and we do that. We invite Jesus into our hearts, best decision you'll ever make. But it doesn't stop there. It's inviting him into every part of my life at home, at work, at school, the, the secret parts that no one else knows that I invite him in because when he comes in, it changes everything, Amen. right? When he walks in, it changes everything. So invite Jesus in. Invite him in. Number two, obey what he says. Obey what he says. We have to obey the word of God. We have to obey whether we read it or you hear it preached or it's in your devotion. You just got to obey the word of God. A part of the story that I didn't highlight, but I'll just highlight for a second here, is that when the servants were told, bring me the water in the water jars, it says that the servants filled the water jars to the brim. That means to the very top of the water jars. He, he filled it to the brim. You know when you fill it to the brim with that old dirty water, you get more new wine. Because as high as the water was, that's how much wine you were going to get, right? So they filled it to the brim. They filled it to the very top. You want God's ultimate blessings and miracles in your life? Obey to the brim, right? What, what's that old, that old slogan? Good to the brim, right? The, the coffee, good to the brim. Yeah, bring it to the brim. Whatever God says, obey him. Listen to him. Follow him. There will be miracles in your life. There will be blessing in your life. There will be favor. All the things we talk about when we invite him in and when we obey. And then the last one, just watch him make everything new. When you invite him in and you obey him, it's not up to you anymore. He's going to fight your battles. He's the one that is going to direct you and guide you and bless you. That's the heart of our God. So let him be on display. Let him do some miracles. Let him make you new. You can't make yourself new. Stop trying. That's why he came. He said, my hour has come. The reason I came is to die on a cross for your sin and make you new. So stop trying to make yourself new. Invite him in, listen to him, let him work in your life. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me today? And, and we're going to just sing a song before we go. We're going to receive the blessing. We're going we're to bless uh, uh, the Hardick family before they go and stuff. But before we do that, I just want to get our hearts right with the Lord. 
I believe that Jesus is transforming and making us new with the power of his love. That's why he came. And, and so today, let's just, let's just lift our hearts before him. And, and then we're just going to stand and sing um, that song, When You Walk Into the Room. Jesus, when you walk into the room, everything changes. And so, Jesus, we invite you in today. We invite you into our hearts and into our lives. We invite you into every area. God, there's nothing off limits in our life anymore. You are there. And Lord, when you tell us to do something, we will obey to the brim. God, we want to be, be servants. We want to be like those servants who, who just obeyed every word. God, we want to obey you. And so, Lord, help us. Speak to us. Let us know what we're to do. Lord, there, there are things in our life that are pressing. There are things in our, our life that are painful. But, but, Lord, you can make them all new. That could be pressing us to make some new wine in our life. And so, God, make us new in you today. Let us know the power of your love. God, that you're not angry with us and that you want to beat us down. But, God, that, that it doesn't matter what anybody else says about us. It doesn't matter what our past mistakes are. You've already forgotten about them. And you don't care what anybody else says. We can give you a million reasons not to love us, and none of those would turn you away. God, you love us with an everlasting love. God, you are good, and your plans for us are good. And so, Lord, we hold on to that today. We rest in that today. God, we know you're fighting our battles. We know that you're doing a good work and that you're making us new. And so, Lord, we we sing this song as our prayer today. And, Lord, I pray that as we sing this song, you would increase our faith together. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me tonight as we...